Thanks for tuning in to a sermon from Redemption Hill Church. If you're in D.C., we'd love for you to come and join us and become a part of the church family. If you're outside of D.C., we'd love for you to find a church family to get plugged into and invest your life in where you can be held accountable and they can care for you. If you'd like to support the ministries of Redemption Hill Church, you can give online at redemptionhilldc.org. Lord, we, as we've come to this place, we, the week behind and the week ahead weighs on us all. We, it weighs on us differently. Um, some of us have come in here feeling like we're, we're in a great spot, we're in control, things are going the way we want them to. Others of us have come in here feeling shattered. And I pray that your word that is, we're told is living and active will continue to speak to us today as we read it that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you, and that you would point us and turn our eyes freshly to our Lord and Savior, Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. When I was a kid, my family, our primary vacations that we took was that we went camping a lot. Um, and so we, and I grew up in the Chicago area, and so that meant we went camping in Wisconsin, because that's what people in the Chicago area do. Wisconsin, we look at it as a giant state park for Illinois. And, um, and we used to camp at this, at this place called Wailusing State Park, which even some Wisconsinites won't have heard of. And it's where the Wisconsin River flows west into the Mississippi River, and which most of you, I think, have heard of. And, the and at, at this river confluence, there, you can camp on 500-foot bluffs overlooking the confluence of the rivers. And so there, it's beautiful, especially in the autumn. We'd often go camping this weekend, Columbus Day weekend. And um, it was a large group that would go camping. And, and so we'd go and enjoy that place. Well, there was one time that we were camping at Wailusing State Park that we were with some friends up on the bluffs overlooking the river. And as it, it, suddenly, we could see a storm system rolling in from the west. And it looked bad, and our, bad enough that the friends we were with threw all of their gear except their tent into their car and said, we'll see you later, we're, going, we're getting off the bluff to see what's going to happen. We did not do that. We stayed, and, um, and, what, and the storm did roll in, and it was worse than we expected. And there was a moment where my dad and I, I can remember, were holding down a tent, standing outside of the tent, and getting hit with hail on my back, and why we were standing outside of a tent, I will never, ever know. Um, but my mom and my sister were in the car hiding and crying because they couldn't even see us because it was so bad. The guy in the campsite next to us hid under his picnic table, and an oak tree that I couldn't fit my arms around was snapped in half and landed on top of his tent while he was under the picnic table. So we learned later that a tornado had come through and that we were standing outside of our tent on a 500-foot bluff during a tornado holding up the tent poles. I'm not that committed to camping anymore. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I like creature comforts a little bit more. There is, I, I would, like our, our, our friend's tent was blown away. I don't know where it ended up. It was gone. And they stayed at a, at a motel that night. And uh, that makes sense to me because you have a bed and walls. <laughs> and so, uh, like now, the wilderness is just fine, but I prefer it in more measured doses. And so our family camps a little, but you know, Skyline Drive is awfully nice, because you can be in a car <laughs> and then stay in a cabin. 
And so it, it, we, I like creature comforts. Now, there's something to this for every one of us, but at a, de- at a deeper level. We all have certain creature comforts that we enjoy, things that, expectations that we have of, of what, how things should go, expectations we have of what, honestly, in some ways, what we've earned or what we are owed, and we really don't like the wilderness except in measured doses. Because we don't like uncertainty, we don't like dependence, we don't like relying on someone else to lead the way and provide or for not being sure of our own stability. Well, the text that we have today shows us that God provides for us in the wilderness. And so we're in Exodus chapter 16 and 17. We'll actually end up, we'll start with the first part, or the end part of 15. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up with me. If not, it'll be on the screen for you. If you don't own a Bible, we always have them available on the book table, and it's our gift to you, yours to keep. And so up to this point, we've seen the Israelites in Egypt, and it opens up the first two chapters, remember, feels like much of our experience in this world. God felt absent to the Israelites. And then in chapter two, it's really the question, does God know or care about us? And so we've seen God move in power and call Moses to himself and reveal himself to Moses. And we've seen the 10 signs that he used to to save the Israelites and redeem them, to purchase them from slavery to the Egyptians and, and free them. We saw last week that they came to their first major barrier at the Sea of Reeds, and when they came to that place, immediately they were complaining, but God protected them in spite of their complaints and made a way for them through the sea. And so now we see them on the other side of that experience with all of the grace of God that's been shown to them to save them to this point, and we see what happens now as they enter into the wilderness and all of the uncertainty, but following the presence of God in a pillar of cloud and fire. And so we read this. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the peoples of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, and on the fifteenth day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out in the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger." And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. 
Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they didn't know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded, gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. And so the people of Israel did so. They gathered some, some more, some less, but when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till morning, but they didn't listen to Moses. Shocking. Some left part of it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them, and by morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each, and when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and what is left over lay aside and keep till morning." So they laid it aside till morning, as Moses had commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. And Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather, but on the seventh, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you a Sabbath. Therefore, this, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place. On the, Sabbath day, on the seventh day, and so the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer be kept throughout your generations, so you may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Moses said, Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout gener the generations. And as the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. And the people of Israel ate manna 40 years until they came into the habitable land. And they ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. By the way, an omer is a tenth part of an ephah. <laughs> All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord. It encamped at Rephidim, but there, there was no more water to drink for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and, and said, why do you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And so Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. 
And so this is what happens as the Israelites get into the wilderness. That we've, again, we've seen all that God has done for them. That It's not like they were in a good spot in Egypt, and he saved them from slavery there, where their infants were being killed by Pharaoh. He brings them out. He saved them from Pharaoh's army and destroyed Pharaoh's army through the sea while bringing them through on dry ground. They get out to the wilderness, and the first thing they do is complain. Now again, chapters one and two feel like most of our lives where God felt distant and, and it felt like you wondered if he cared, but then he broke through in these dramatic ways, revealing his name to Moses and through Moses to the people, revealing himself to the Pharaoh and the Egyptians through the 10 signs, bringing them through the sea, and now that when they get out there, they say, well, Moses, what are, you, what are we gonna drink? As if God didn't have a plan to protect them and to provide for them. And I love the way that they, when, when they're hungry, it says in 16 that the response is, is again, this, the, the perspective of the Israelites is, we would have rather died in Egypt than be out here with you, Moses. Now, I am somebody that struggles with getting hangry as well, so I can understand how when you're hungry, you might emotionally react that way. But, but the response is, and I love this, we would have rather died in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. That is some revisionist history on the part of the Israelite people. Moses, we had it great. We had pots overflowing with meat. We had all the bread we wanted. Things were fantastic in Egypt. Why did you bring us out here to this wilderness where things are so uncertain? When they complained about not having any, that the water was too bitter, God made a way for it to be made sweet. And they complain that they're hungry and they're not sure where their food's going to come from. God provides manna from heaven. Manna literally means, what is it? <laughs> That's what it was named. What is it? <laughs> when they say, why'd you bring us out here to die? We're thirsty again. God provided a way for there to be water that flowed from a rock. And that place was named Massa and Meribah, which are the Hebrew words for testing and quarreling. Because they still didn't believe that God was with them. They had a pillar of cloud and fire leading them in the wilderness. They had dramatic evidence of God's power. They had dramatic evidence of God's provision, and still they refused to believe that God was with them, even after all that he had done for them. Which is that, I mean, that's what, what the passage ended with, right? In chapter 17, and Moses named him Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of the Lord. And why? Because they tested the Lord by even at that point, as water is flowing from a rock, saying, is God, is the Lord really with us? This, this God, Yahweh, that, that Moses introduced us to or told us the name of, is he really with us? They still struggled with belief, even after all he'd done for them. I think we can be prone to roll our eyes at the Israelites on this, but the reality is that every one of us is the same. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, commenting on this, said this, we too passed through the Red Sea, through the desert, and across the Jordan, into the promised land. With, with Israel, we fall into doubt and unbelief, and, and through punishment and repentance, experience again God's help and faithfulness. All this is not mere reverie, but holy, godly reality. We are torn out of our own existence and set down in the midst of, of whole, the holy history of God on earth. And there God dealt with us, and there he still deals with us, our needs, our sins, and judgment and grace. We prefer certainty and comfort to the wilderness. We prefer our own plans to any level of uncertainty. 
We, would look, we look at our own lives and think that our plans are pots of meat overflowing and bread to the full. The reality is that we have an incredible record of who God is and what he has done for his people. That he is a God of power and grace and mercy, a God of justice and love, a God who provides and protects. We have stories of how God interacts with his people throughout the entirety of scripture and throughout the lives of people in history as, they, as God has walked alongside them and in people's lives around us right now, some of whom are sitting right next to you that could tell stories of God's care and provision and protection. And yet, Bonhoeffer's right. We wonder, is God actually with us? For those of you who are Christians, God has brought us through the sea. We talked about this last week, that he has held back the waters of his judgment. This is what we see in baptism, that, that in Christ, the waters of God's judgment are held back and that, that we are brought safely through and promised an inheritance in eternity in a place where we can rest in the presence of God and his kingdom of light. And still we struggle with doubt. We wonder, is God actually good? Does he actually know? Does he actually have a plan? Is he actually going to provide? Is his word true? Did he really say what he said? And is his plan really going to come through? When things get hard in our lives, we have a similar complaint. We say, God, why have I been given a bitter cup to drink? And when things when we lose someone or something that we counted on, we have the same reaction and turn to God and say, where is my meat pot? I felt secure in that. Why has it been taken away from me? When things get uncertain and reality fails to live up to expectations, we have the same response in saying, God, why have you just brought me out here that I would die? So what we see in today's text helps every one of us that we see God provides in the wilderness. Our lives are lived in the wilderness place. And every one of us, when we look around us, the expectations and hopes that we have for what this world ought to be, it, 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 let's face it, reality doesn't live up to that. And often we struggle to cope with that in our own lives and more broadly. And, but we need to understand that what we see in Scripture over and over and over again is that, that when people follow God's leading, it brings them into a wilderness place invariably, so that we would be more dependent on him, and yet we continue to complain. And so three things that I'm going to urge you toward today, three calls to us in this text. First, follow God's lead into the wilderness. Again, every one of us faces the wilderness in our lives. Paul Miller, an author, says, describes it this way. He says, you know, there's a gap between our expectations, our hopes, the promises that God has made us that we can cling to in Scripture, and the reality that we experience here. And so the, even here with the Israelites, the promises of God that they were given is, he said, come with me, follow me. I'm going to free you from slavery to Egypt, and I'm going to bring you to a land where you will find rest. And so they knew that that was the promise looking ahead, but it wasn't like they were just there. They didn't just get teleported from the shores of the sea into the land of Canaan and, and be given that rest. No, there was, there was a gap between as they were brought through the wilderness, and it happens for us that we get terribly uncomfortable. And there's different things. I mean, it could be unmet expectations and hopes that you have. For some of you, you know that you, you, know, you set out, this is what happens like, you get a dream of what the perfect school will be. You, you go through the college application process and you think, what is gonna be the right spot to set me up for life? And you have dreams of it and then you show up there and you get into the grind of the semester and it doesn't live up to the expectations and hopes that you had. 
or move beyond that. Some of you dreamt of achieving your degree and stepping into the job world, and you thought, this is what it's going to be like. When I graduate from school, I'm going to have total freedom over my life and lots of disposable income. And then you get your first job, and you realize how much you have to pay for the schooling you just got, and that you're broke. That, and there's a gap between the hopes that you have. This happens in, in relationships. This, we could go on and on and on. It happens in expectations and hopes of what marriage will be like. And then you get married and get through the first few years and life gets hard and you, you, you clash with each other. It happens with income brackets. You think, if I could just get up to this level, then I would have it easy, but it's never quite enough. It happens more broadly. We could think about things like election outcomes, that if we could just get this outcome, it'll solve the problem that we see in front of us. And that gap is the wilderness place. But it's not just unmet expectations. There are also things in life that are just brutally hard. That some of you are facing, facing issues of your health failing you that are beyond your control. And you wonder, why have I been given this bitter cup to drink? Some of you are facing issues of your health that are well within your control. You're dealing with the consequences of choices you've made and still wondering, is God going to pull you through? Others of you are, are fighting with the, the crushing darkness of anxiety and depression, not knowing if there's ever going to be a light that really breaks through definitively and permanently, or grappling with knowing the reality that you'll get glimmers of hope and glimmers of light and seasons of it, but there will also be seasons where you're pulled back into a depth of melancholy. That's the wilderness place. And some of you are struggling with this suffocating pressure of, of shame that you just can't outrun. Wondering, you know, God says here, I am the Lord, your healer. And you wonder, can he ever bring healing for me? These are our deserts. These are our wilderness. And, 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 we know, and we know that suffering can shape our character. And we know that we can tell stories of of suffering that, that have a positive outcome and have a, a shiny ending. And, but, but, and so we don't mind dipping into suffering a little bit, like camping, where camping is really just sitting outside around the warmth of a fire and, and recounting the moments of the day that we can share with our friends in the warmth of the firelight, knowing that we can still drive down the bluff when the tornado comes. But when God leads us deeper into the wilderness than our control and our, our, than our ability to cope can handle, that's when we cry out like the Israelites saying, this is not how this story is supposed to go. God, I, there's a different way that would be better. Or we say, how, how am I even supposed to make it out here? How am I supposed to live? I'm thirsty and I'm hungry. How do I know where provision is going to come from? We just say, Lord, where is my pot of meat? At the end of the film, The Two Towers, um, Peter Jackson summed up a section from, of Samwise Gamgee talking to Mr. Frodo. He says this, he says, I, I know it's all wrong. By rights, we shouldn't even be here. But we are. It's like in the, greatest, in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered, full of darkness and danger they were, and, and sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow, 
Even a darkness must pass. A new day will come, and when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. Sam was encouraging Frodo because everything had fallen apart at the end of the Two Towers. The Fellowship of the Ring had disbanded. The two of them were alone and headed toward the darkness of Mordor. So he's saying, this is the story. It's not how we would have written it, but it's where we find ourselves. But we're not the only ones that God will lead into the wilderness. Think about this. In Luke chapter 3, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is baptized by his cousin John. He's baptized, and, and the heavens open, and the Spirit descends on him like a dove, and the Father's voice says, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased, and Jesus is filled with the Spirit, and so you have this beautiful Trinitarian picture as Father, Son, and Spirit are together. The Spirit is, leads Jesus in all of his humanity, and the first place that the Spirit of God led Jesus when you get to Luke chapter 4 was into the wilderness. He went straight into the wilderness where he went without food and drink and where at the end of 40 days he was tempted by Satan himself. But understand that it was full of the Spirit that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. That is the place that God the Father and the Spirit of God led Jesus. Not, it wasn't easy. But in that place, when, when Satan call, came to him, Jesus knew that what his father had called him to was the better way, even if it was the harder way. He knew that turning a stone to bread was not going to solve real hunger. He knew that being handed all the kingdoms of the earth was not a better outcome than what he was going to have to walk through in his suffering. And he knew that showing off his power by throwing himself off the temple, that the angels would catch him, that, not a, that his foot wouldn't strike a stone, was not the right timing to reveal his glory. And Jesus then called us that if anyone's going to come after me, he must take up his cross daily and follow me. And so the question is, the call of Jesus is costly and hard, and the question for every one of us is, are we willing to follow that call and take up our cross and kill our own flesh, kill our own desires, our own plans, our own security, in order to follow him into the wilderness? Knowing that the pathway that Jesus calls us to is one of discomfort and uncertainty and difficulty, but what he has for you is better than your pot of meat. We know that there's a promised land ahead of us. But too often we don't trust the journey that God takes us on to lead us there. So God provides in the wilderness. First, the, call, the first call to us is follow God's lead into the wilderness. The second is identify ways you are prone to grumble. Every one of us is. Every one of us complains. Some of us are more cynical than others, and it, we jump to that quicker. We all have a tendency to focus on ourselves and forget God's grace and forget what he's done. But remember, again, the Israelites weren't exactly comfortable in thriving in Egypt. But somehow they looked back to that time as, I wish we would have stayed there. They were enslaved. They were being treated brutally by Pharaoh. 
And it got worse as Moses intervened. Remember that they, were, they had quotas of bricks to make for these storage cities. And, and that then it was a point where, where when Pharaoh got angry, then he was like, all right, now they have to collect their own straw for the bricks. They're not going to be given the straw to make them. And then they're going to have to make the bricks without straw at all. It just got worse and worse over time. But even still, they would rather be certain in suffering in Egypt than uncertain and reliant on God's provision while free. Now listen, this is something that we need to hear. And even those of you who are Christians, who if you're a Christian, that means that you have turned to Jesus to entrust your very soul to him and said that you are finding hope in his death, in your place for your sin, and in his resurrection that conquered death, and in his ascension, saying that he now rules and reigns over all things and is going to return to bring a new heavens and earth and make all things right. And still, we can say those things and believe those things, and our hearts will look back longingly at things that we've turned away from and rejected in our lives, knowing that they aren't the best for us, but we still look back and think, I wish I could have that again. We still hear the whispers of Satan that came in the garden, asking us, did God really say? Maybe he's trying to hold something back from you because he doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want you, if you, if you turn away from what he says, you'll be like God yourself. And so we look back at things that we know aren't for our best and look back to places in our life that we know were much darker and that the outcomes were much more grim and still we look back and long for those things as if the very sin that you turn away from, the same sin that Christ went to the cross to pay for, will somehow bring satisfaction and freedom that it never did and never will when we know it will only lead us deeper into shame and bondage. C.S. Lewis talked about this in his sermon, The Weight of Glory. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Can you believe the promise that's given to us in Philippians chapter 4 when, when we're told, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus? What are the ways that you are prone to grumble? What is it that for you, you say, you know, why did you bring us out here to die to God? Say, why, why, where's, you know, I wish I could have the, the pot of meat that I had in the past that brought me comfort and security. Why have you brought me out here? Are you even here with me? How are we prone to grumble? And the third call to us today is to turn to living water and the bread of life. In 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul makes a bold interpretive move here. He's talking about this section in Israel's history, and he looks back at it, and as he does, he, he makes a correlation that, point, that this points directly to Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 10, he says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under a cloud and passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. 
For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Don't be idolaters as some of they were. As it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in immorality as some of them did. 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. These things happened as an example but they were written down for our instruction. Therefore, anyone who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. As the Apostle Paul says to us, the rock was Christ. When we read in Exodus chapter 17, what we read today, that, that the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, take some of the Israels, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And so Moses did so in the sight of the elders and in the sight of Israel. And what the Apostle Paul says to us is when we look back at this count, account, we need to understand that the Lord standing on the rock that was struck, that Christ is the rock that is as others have said and many have pointed out like the rock Jesus Christ was struck by God's judgment he was struck by the rod of God of God's justice this is why Isaiah the prophet 700 years before Jesus looked ahead and talked about this one who would come and said he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. And striking him gave us proof of God's protecting love and provision. And like the rock, Christ flowed with the water of life. This is what happens at the crucifixion that John captures for us that while hanging on the cross, as he died, his side was pierced by a spear, and blood and water flowed. And he had promised that anyone who turns to him would have living water. This is as Jesus met with a Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. He brought his disciples through an area in a neighborhood that they didn't want to go through. It was a neighborhood that they would avoid and go around. And he said, no, we must go through this place. And so they go through this place. And, and then Jesus finds himself alone in the middle of the day at a well. And a woman, a Samaritan woman, came to him and was nervous to talk to him. It was a woman who had been taken advantage of in her life. And Jesus struck up a conversation with her and said, hey, give me something to drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said, how, how are you asking me for something to drink? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. I'm a woman from Samaria. Jews had no dealings with Samaritans at the time. These people were divided by their ethnicity. And Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God... And who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. <laughs> the woman says, um, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where are you going to get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well to drink from, as did his sons and livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
And the woman said, sir, give me this water that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus went on later to say, listen, you worship what you don't know, we worship what we know, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. The God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. Do you hear the promise of Jesus? Remember, we saw that, that Jesus had made the statement to the Pharisees, the thing that almost, that really started the, was the trigger that lit the fuse that led to his arrest and his crucifixion, was when he said, before Abraham is, I am. They said, you know, how do you know Abraham? You know, that was, we don't, Abraham's been dead a long time, and Jesus said, before Abraham is, I am. He said, I was there, I preached to Abraham. Here he's saying he, he is the one who was there, God in the flesh, who was with the Israelites. He is the rock from whom water flowed. And now he's offering not just water that will quench our physical thirst, but he's saying that his spirit will indwell those who turn to him and that it will be living water so that we never thirst again. There's, he's the water of life. And he's also the bread of life. One of the things that turned people against Jesus fastest was in John chapter six. And in John chapter six, so a couple of chapters after this interaction with the Samaritan woman where he's saying, I have living water to offer you that you can drink and never thirst again. In John chapter six, we read that Jesus fed the 5,000 on the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. And so on the shores of that sea, there was a large crowd following him because they saw that he was healing the sick. And so he was up on the mountain and he sat down and, and people were there gathered and he said, what are we gonna eat? And so they, they, had, they fed them with, these, with the five loaves and the two fish that multiplied for people as Jesus blessed it. And it's after that event that he's talking to some of the crowd and they're, they're asking him you know, about what had happened and he said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me and all who comes to me I will never cast out for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Some people grumbled about him saying I'm the bread that is cast down from heaven. And so Jesus doubled down on it and said, I am the bread of life. And he goes on to say that whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Jesus taught these things in the synagogue and the crowds thinned out. Like there was a buzz. He was healing people. He was, he was feeding people with physical bread and fish, and they were feasting on physical things. And when Jesus turned to them and said, listen, this is how the plan of God fits together, looking back to and using language that points us back to these events in Exodus, saying God has provided nourishment and drink for you that, that, will, that will make it so that you never hunger again, so that you never thirst again. And when he says, that, when he says I am the bread from heaven, and they say, what, no, there's, what are you even talking about? 
and he, he begins to point to himself. He, he is willing to say the hard things that thin out the crowd to the point then where his, he even turns to his apostles. The crowds were dispersing so quickly and says, are you guys going to go too? And I love that, I think it's Peter's response. Yeah, Peter says, uh, where are we going to go, Jesus? We kind of left everything. But do you hear what Jesus is saying here? All that the Father gives me will come to me. I'll lose nothing that God has given to me. I'll lift you up on the last day. Anyone who looks to me and believes in me should have eternal life. Last week we saw that the crossing of the sea points ahead to Jesus. That through Jesus, God has held back the waters of judgment, given us a way to pass through on dry land before the wrath of God comes crashing back down. We're brought safely through to the other side. This week, we see that God saves us and then provides for us all that we need in food and in drink. And this is what we celebrate each week as we celebrate the Lord's table together, that we come together to feast on the bread of life and drink deeply of the cup that has been given to us in the new covenant in Christ. And so we've been given living water and the bread of life in Jesus. Now listen, some of you are here today and feel very comfortable in your life right now. And it could be because you don't realize how dependent on God you really are. You don't realize that so much of what you enjoy is his provision and his gift to you. We like to think that we're responsible for our successes and our accomplishments and that God is responsible for our suffering. Everything you've been given, God has given to you. And it could be that you've become content, like C.S. Lewis said, playing with mud pies in a slum when a holiday at sea has been offered to you in eternity. If that's you and you're not a Christian, then sadly, I don't know what it will take And I don't know that you'll be able to turn to Christ until you're at a point that you're convinced you need a Savior. For those of you who who have turned to Christ and you are a Christian, maybe it's time for you in your life to take up some greater risks. Maybe God is leading you into the wilderness and you have a chance to follow him. And it might sound crazy, like holding up tent poles in a tornado. But maybe there's a place in your life where you need to put yourself in a position of greater dependence on God so that he can show that he'll act to bring you through. You know that's why Jesus taught us to pray how he taught us to pray, right? Um, it, join me in saying this together if you, if you would like. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is Jesus saying this is our ongoing prayer. Lord, your name be lifted up. Lord, your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, give us today the things we need Everything we have is from you, and give us bread not only to fill our bellies, but bread that will feed our souls. Forgive us, because every day we have need of forgiveness, and every day we have need to extend forgiveness. 
And every day we are being led by God. And even though we don't have the pillar of cloud and fire like the Israelites, if you are following Christ, you are following him into the wilderness place. And every day we need to plead with God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, some of you here today aren't in a place of comfort. Some of you have come here today in the wilderness. I don't have to explain to you that it's hard to wonder if God is present because you're suffering and you feel it today. You understand why the Israelites, even with this, these signs of provision, we get to the end of it and still they're arguing about whether or not God is with them. And you say, I get that because I, I feel that and I fear that today. And there is hope for you today. Isaiah 55, we hear this beautiful call and I need you to hear this today. For some of you, this is God's voice to you today. He says to you, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. Turning to Jesus doesn't solve all of your temporal problems. It gives us the hope that we have a pathway through and that God will lead us through the wilderness and into his rest. But come, let go of your own need to have control and plans and independence and follow the one who can give you life. Father, would you help us today to see our need for you to see your provision for us and your grace and kindness to us, would you help us? We don't like the idea that we need help. We don't like the idea that, that things are gonna get uncomfortable in our lives. We like to dip our toes in within our own control, but to be able to step back. And so would you reveal what it is that we turn to today. Would you show us our own pots of meat? And by your spirit, would you open our eyes to hear and receive the teachings of Jesus that thinned out the crowds, that he is the bread of life, that he offers us living water. We plead with you and ask this in his name. Amen.